There are many blessings in all of the advances of technology that we've been able to experience in our lifetime, but, but I, my, one of my personal opinions on, on one of the greatest blessings of technology is GPS. It's just incredible, isn't it? You can type in an address into your phone or your GPS thing, and, and it can take you anywhere in the world, step by step, in, in a matter of seconds. And it tells you, right, when, when to turn. It even gives you a couple warnings before you're supposed to turn. It'll change routes for you if there's a better way to, to get past an accident or some traffic. It'll even put a little thing on there to tell you there's a, there's a policeman ahead, right? You better slow down. It, it's just an amazing thing. Think about how it's changed life and how you travel. Remember, it wasn't that long ago we had to go on the MapQuest on the internet and, and print out a map, right, with step-by-step step directions. And then many of you are old enough to remember the glove box was full of the old paper maps that you'd have to get out and figure out where you are, right? Just think about how it's revolutionized how we travel. It's amazing. GPS is a wonderful blessing, but it has its downfalls too, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't, isn't always exact. Can't always tell you when there's a detour. It doesn't always maybe direct you in the best way. Uh, back in 2009, so about 13 years ago, when, when GPS was around, but it wasn't, it wasn't maybe quite as sophisticated as today, we were in northern Wisconsin by my parents' cabin up there, and, and we wanted to go north uh, to this concert, and, and so I went and figured out the best way to get there, and it looked really good. It was nice and direct, and then got into some of the roads and realized not were they just back roads, but they were not even just dirt roads, but even just grass paths through the forest. And Laura, who is six months pregnant with Katie, was sitting in the back seat of the van, and getting bounced around just a little bit and didn't feel so good after that, right? GPS got us there, but it, uh, not, maybe not the best way to go. When it comes to our, our walk of faith in this life, and, and in this whole discipleship series, we've been looking at different uh, sections that talk about it in that way. It's a, it's a walk through this life, right? It's a, it's a journey. It's, it's even a race. Not that you're competing against other people, but, but the, about that endurance of a race, right? That, that's what this life is in this world as Christians. It's this discipleship thing, being followers of Jesus, is, is we want to make it to our destination. And we know as Christians, there are only two destinations at the end of life. There's only one of two places to go when your life ends. And as Christians, we know the one where we want to be. <laughs> we know that destination. We want to make it there. And in a sense, we have a GPS. God gives us his word. God tells us how to get there. Right? We may not know all the twists and turns and the hills and the valleys and the detours that it might include, but we know the way there. And these Hebrew Christians that, that this letter was originally written to needed some encouragement to remain on route, to keep on on that route that had been laid out for them. They were tempted to give up on it for, for a variety of reasons, and we'll talk about that a little later. But friends, we need this encouragement too. 2,000 years later. 
to remain on route, to make it to that destination, where we want to be. And it's good for us to remember and, and, and dwell on it once in a while. Where, where is it we're heading? What is our destination? Where do we want to be? Where is this leading, this path that Jesus has us on? Well, that route, let's remember, is to Mount Zion. That's where we're headed. Listen to how the, the writer to the Hebrews says it. Look at verses 22. If you have it, it's in the, in the service folder. If you have your, your own Bible here, if you want to open up the Pew Bible. So we're at Hebrews chapter 12. I'm not going to start at the beginning. I'm going to kind of start in the middle. Verse 22, it says, You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. That's where you're headed. That is where this road of discipleship ends. The destination that you are en route to is Mount Zion is the picture here. And, and Mount Zion in the Old Testament, that, that's the place where Solomon built the temple. It's at the center of old Jerusalem. And that was the picture of where God met with his people, where God dwelled among his people there at that temple in that holy city of Jerusalem. But it's a foreshadowing, of course, of of what we're going to get to enjoy in eternity. Jerusalem itself and the temple there is all a foreshadowing of heaven itself, where we will get to dwell with God, where we will be in his presence. Right? And just look at how he beautifully is, is led by the Spirit to describe it. It's the city of the living God. God is there. That you finally get to be where you're made to be in the presence of God. He says that you will come to, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful, joyful assembly. Right, right now in heaven, there are thousands upon thousands of angels worshiping and praising God in joyful assembly. And when we get to that destination, when we get there to Mount Zion, we get to join that assembly and praise God forever in endless and perfect joy. That's what's waiting for you at that destination. He says, you get to join the church of the firstborn. Right? Those who are those firstborn into eternal life. The church triumphant, gathered there before that throne of God. Those whose names are written in heaven. Right? You're not going to have to question when you get there, do I belong here? Are they going to let me in? No, your name is written there. It's like when you get to the hotel and you go up to, go up to the, the, the desk in the lobby, right? And, and they ask your name and then they start typing in the computer and it might take a little bit and you're starting to get worried. Like, did I not make my reservation? Did something happen? That's not going to happen in heaven. Your name is there. It's written there. That is your destination. And this is so important for us to, to remember. To remember where we're headed. Remember why we're walking this road and, and, and what it leads to. Because this is what helps us keep going. To know what's waiting for us at the end. This is what this life is all about. Getting to heaven. Getting to that Mount Zion, to that city of the living God. That's where we long to be. It's road there's not easy. But the destination is worth it. 
We are en route to Mount Zion. You know, there are famous last words that many a husband and father have spoken on the road. I know a shortcut. And maybe sometimes it works out, but very often it doesn't. Right? And all of a sudden, you're, you're off route. Right? You, you think you knew the way. You thought it might be quicker and better, but it, but it turns out it wasn't. And, and, and you know, when you, when you have your GPS logged in and, and you got your destination, have you ever decided you're going to go a different way? Right? What, what does it continue to say to you? It continues to say, make a U-turn. At the next intersection, make a U-turn. Make a U-turn, right? It'll keep telling you that. And then finally, right, Siri or whatever you call that voice in your, in your phone or your GPS will finally get that, all right, they're not listening to me. <laughs> and they will reroute you. But that way is not going to be as fast and efficient or as good as the way it had set out probably. <laughs> right? It's going to be a little longer. You might hit some traffic. You might hit some construction. Right? Changing routes isn't always a good thing. And that's spiritually speaking too. Because there's the temptation that on this route to Mount Zion, there's a temptation to reroute through Mount Sinai. Let's talk about what that means. Mount Sinai is the place in the book of Exodus where God gave his people the law where Moses went up on that mountain and met with God. And that Mount Sinai out in the wilderness was not a place of peace and joy, it was a place of terror and fear. Because there were clouds and smoke. There was fire and earthquake and thunder and lightning. There was the voice of God there. There at that mountain... God's Old Testament people weren't filled with peace and comfort. They were filled with awe and respect and fear for the Holy God and who he is and what he demands. Listen to the way the writer of the Hebrews says it to these, these first Christians and to us. He says right at the beginning, You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now the writer of the Hebrews doesn't say it's Mount Sinai, but he is talking about Mount Sinai here, where God gave his law where God placed his demands on his people and it led to nothing but fear and terror in the hearts of his people. These Hebrew Christians were, were just that. They were Jews who had been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. They had come out of Judaism, you know, who, who believed the Old Testament and held to it, but we're led to see that Jesus was that promised Messiah. That the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures was Jesus himself, who believed in him as their savior and their substitute. They're Hebrews who are now Christians. But there was that constant temptation. That they had Mount Zion waiting for them, but 
that the road had to go through Mount Sinai to get there. They had their, their Jewish friends and, and maybe even family members who were telling them, no, you've got to hold on to these Old Testament laws. You must continue to obey them. And even, even their sinful flesh was telling them that it just can't be that easy. Right? What, what, we, just, we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore? We don't have to do the Passover anymore? We don't have to offer these animal sacrifices anymore? Right? Judaism was all about the rules, keeping the laws, and then the Pharisees had added a whole bunch of other laws to hedge God's law. Right? All of these things they had to do to get right with God, taking them back to Mount Sinai, and that only led to fear and terror when they realized they couldn't do it, that they couldn't do what God commanded. That was the temptation for these Hebrew Christians. This, we must do something to get right with God. You know, it's, it's, it's a common thought today, too. I, there's a reason why every other major religion besides Christianity is one of doing, one of works in order to please the higher power. I mean, just look at every single one of them. Islam is about its, its five pillars and those things that you must do in order to reach that afterlife. Buddhism is about the eightfold path to that afterlife. Hinduism is all about breaking out of that cycle of reincarnation, which is all about being better and better and better so that you can enjoy the afterlife. Jehovah's Witnesses are about doing, doing their mission trips and, and, and being a good person and, and getting right with God that way. Mormonism is all about keeping those temple ordinances and doing those things in order to get right with God. Every major religion outside of Christianity leads through Mount Sinai of sorts. It's about rules and laws, about what you must do to be right with that higher power. And that results in nothing but terror and fear. <laughs> but it's not just other churches. Because there are even many, many Christian churches that add that little flavor of something you must do. Oh, that, yes, Jesus died for you, but you have to live a good life. You have to keep the commands. You have to do these things to show that you're a Christian. You see, what they do is they take Jesus plus works. Jesus plus you. They're taking you back to Mount Sinai. That you get right with God by how you live and what you do. And my friends, it ends in nothing but terror and fear. But even us, even us good Lutherans, who say that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, revealed in the scriptures alone, through the work of Christ alone, how tempting it is with that sinful flesh to think there's got to be something. There's got to be something that I have to do to get right with God. And so we look at our church attendance and point to that. Or the size of our offerings. Or how I try my best to be a, a good, faithful spouse. Or a loving, caring parent. Or a kind neighbor. Or a very generous person. Right? We start to look to those things 
as what gets us right with God, and, and that's why he's pleased with us, and that's why he'll let us live with him, right? It's Jesus, yeah, of course, but, but what I do too. My friends, if that's the case, and that's the temptation for every one of us with this sinful flesh that still wants us to think there's something we got to do, we're taking ourselves right back to Mount Sinai. And the result of that is nothing but terror and fear. It's terror and fear because you realize the harder you try to keep the law, how much you can't. It only leads to terror and fear because you realize the more you look into the law and see what would God have me do, you realize how sinful you are and how holy God is. That you have no right to approach him at all. And to think that you have anything to hold out to him and to offer him that is going to be good or righteous. My friends, don't reroute through Mount Sinai. It only leads to terror and fear. It's the natural inclination that I have to do something. It's what we see in our world. It's what our, our selfish, sinful nature tells us, that we can get ourselves right with God. But what you find out in the end, that route through Mount Sinai is no route to God at all. It can't get you there. It's like rerouting with your GPS and it tells you that there's a bridge out ahead but you just keep going anyways you're not going to make it you need to go back so too the road to Mount Zion can't go through Mount Sinai it's impossible many try but they'll fail why Jesus says the door to heaven is narrow. Many are going to come and say, we ate with you, we drank with you, we knew you, Jesus. But I don't know you. Don't reroute through Mount Sinai. It's not the way to Mount Zion. The route to Mount Zion does lead you through a mountain but a much better one, a much more glorious one, a much more peaceful and joyful one. Because the way to Mount Zion makes us have to go through Mount Calvary. And there are similarities between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. I'm sorry, Mount Sinai and Mount Calvary. Because they're at Mount Calvary. There was darkness and gloom. There was six hours of darkness. There at Mount Calvary, there was fire. It was the fire of God's wrath. But not upon animals or sinful human beings, but upon his own son. His wrath and fury, not for his sins, but for ours. There at Mount Calvary, we don't see an animal being stoned to death because it touched the mountain. We see the Lamb of God being crucified to death for us. 
for all of our disobedience. There on Mount Calvary, we hear someone crying out in terror at what they see. And it's, it's not Moses, and it's not even what Moses says. I'm trembling with fear. The centurion cries out, surely this man was the Son of God. You see, it's at Mount Calvary that we see the sinless one shed his blood for us. This is how the writer of the Hebrews talks about why you're going to get to be at Mount Zion as you pass through Mount Calvary. He says, You have come to the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You come to Mount Calvary, the road through which you must travel to go to Mount Zion. And there you see Jesus mediating a new covenant for you. And that new covenant isn't obey or else. It's not touch this mountain and die. It's come and be forgiven. It's look to the cross and see innocent blood shed for you so that I can say to you, God says, I will forgive your sins and remember your wickedness no more. Jesus mediates this new covenant himself as he sacrifices himself for us to open the gates of heaven wide for us through faith. And that blood, that blood that is shed, that blood that is sprinkled there, the writer of the Hebrews says it's better than the blood of Abel. And maybe think, well, what's that all about? Right? You know Abel from the story of Cain and Abel way back in the beginning of Genesis. If you go to our Lent hymn, Glory Be to Jesus, which many of us know and love, it helps us understand what, what's with the blood of Abel. There, there in that hymn we sing, Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies. Right? Cain killed his brother Abel in cold blood, and that blood cried to vengeance from God, or to God. That's not the blood of Jesus. That vengeance was stayed on him, but instead we sing in that hymn, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. Jesus shed his blood for your pardon and for your peace there on Mount Calvary so that you can someday experience and right now know that you will get to be at Mount Zion. It's through Christ alone that we will get to experience that, that we will get to be with God, that we will get to sing with the angels, that we will get to be in heaven forever. And I know to, to many it sounds too easy, but it's the only way. The only way to Mount Zion is through Mount Calvary, through Jesus Christ. And it might sound easy, but it wasn't. Because in order for it to happen, God had to become man. And God had to face in his humanity, in Jesus, every temptation you do and defeat it perfectly. He had to suffer and die for the sins of the world, for you and for me. He had to defeat death and Satan and every evil. Oh, it wasn't easy. 
but it's done. And it's for you. And as tempting as it is to think that we got to get there another way, friends, rest in the accomplished work of Christ Jesus for you. It's all done. It's already yours through faith. Friends, this road of discipleship, this walk to heaven, is all about knowing and believing and clinging to that truth that the one that we follow, Jesus Christ, he's enough. He's sufficient. He's all we need. He's our Savior, our peace, our life, our salvation. God, give us the hearts to believe that and to cling to that and now go and to proclaim that. Amen.